Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast and we're back in the studio today. My name is Stephen Rilston. I am your host, of course, and it's a very hot day. It's been a very hot week here in Manchester. We've had some beautiful weather and I'm joined by my colleague, Tyrone Marsh. Tyrone, how are you? I'm very good. Thank you, Stephen. Very good. I'm just keeping my ankles over here after some of the reviews I've heard of, of your or, um, performance, shall we say, at Five Aside last night. I, I believe they were considering introducing cards. After, I'd, uh, I'd say it was a brilliant performance, but you've got to have that edge, Tyrone. You've got to have that competitive edge. Well, otherwise... from what I've heard, you have, you have got that edge, Stephen. One of our, let's just say, one of our colleagues who isn't here today is, is nursing a very sore ankle i believe oh, okay interesting interesting we, we, we will mention no names but samuel will be back next week. <laughs> uh, we'll get samuel's take on that i'm sure next time we're on the <laughs> oh, podcast yeah, together all yeah. three of us anyways tyrone plenty to get into this week it's been the international break but manchester united there's always stories it's it's been a busy busy news cycle i'd say since that arsenal game um we'll first just address the elephant in the room really um the anthony story um there was allegations made against Anthony earlier in the week um, and before that as well from his former partner, his ex-girlfriend in the Brazilian media. Um, and the club responded to those allegations on Wednesday afternoon. They released a statement. I'm just going to read it out to, to begin the pod. Um, Manchester United acknowledges the allegations made against Anthony and notes that the police are conducting inquiries. Pending further information, the club will be making no further comments. As a club, we are taking this matter seriously with consideration of the impact of these allegations and subsequent reporting will have on survivors of abuse. Now, since that statement was released by the club, obviously uh, another two women have came forward to make fresh allegations. Um, just a quick word on, on this breaking story, because it's obviously been uh, leading the agenda really this week uh, regarding the club. I mean, it's disastrous for United, really. Um, you know, looking from a United point of view, obviously the allegations are are very serious and, and and need investigating as they are being done both in Manchester and in Sao Paulo. Um, and obviously if there's any basis to them, then it, it's incredibly serious. Looking at it from a United point of view at the moment, it, it is disastrous. Um, I, I mean, this is an issue that's been bobbling away for a little while. I, I think the, the um, Gabriela Cavillian, I think it is the first, the first um, person I did the interview on Monday has made these allegations previously. Um, earlier this year, June, I think at least, and maybe before that. So it is something United have been aware of. It hasn't picked up much traction over here, but obviously the, the investigation by UOL on on Monday did. Um, I mean, when Brazil dropped him from the, their national squad, it, it really put the pressure on United. At, at that point, United were directing an immediate who inquired basically to Anthony's own um, statement on Instagram, which he's made two now. He did make one. I think he went, he went to a police station when he was in Brazil over the summer to, to give his version of events. Um, and then, yeah, they, they released that statement on, on Monday. Um, interestingly, the, I asked, and I think a few other people asked as well, if, you know, if they could confirm he was available for selection and they, you know, they wouldn't confirm that on, on Wednesday, which I think kind of tells you the, the position they're in at the moment. Um, they said the statement speaks for itself. It, it's what they want to say. Um, I mean, it doesn't mention that he's not available, so we presume he is. But... The, the, there's two more women that have come forward now. I think the pressure is definitely building. I've had domestic violence charities come out and say he shouldn't be considered for selection. Obviously, Mason Greenwood was suspended when when these allegations came out. Um, you know, Greenwood had been Greenwood was arrested. Um, I, I don't think Anthony has been arrested yet. It's just an investigation. But coming two weeks after what happened with Greenwood and, and the way United handled that and, and handled it very poorly and 
got such criticism for it. You know, it, it is disastrous for them from a, a moral perspective, a PR perspective. And, you know, the, the eyes of, I'm not the eyes of the world, but there's a lot of people looking at how they react to this now. And, you know, re reputations are at stake, I think, with the way that United deal with this. And it's a huge, huge issue for them. I mean, it's definitely not ideal just coming so shortly, this story after the, the Mason Greenwood investigation came to an end. He's obviously now at Gaddafi on loan. Uh, I will add, though, just to, to wrap up this segment, that Anthony has denied all allegations uh, legally. It's important to include that. Uh, we'll move on to some football in matters then, Tyro. And, um, and I suppose Jaden Sancho's exchange with Eric, Eric Tenog seems a bit trivial after that, but that was also a, a massive story this week. It's been in our headlines and the headlines of every other outlet, really. Um, it's, it's a developing story. I think there are going to be consequences for Sancho. Um, you can't really go on social media and disagree with your manager and kind of have an outburst without there being repercussions, can you? Um, where do you see this unfolding for Jaden Sancho? And is there a way back from now into this United squad? Because we've saw Cristiano Ronaldo and he's now in Saudi Arabia. But on the other hand, we saw Ganacho and Marcus Rashford be disciplined and they're back in the squad, aren't they? So how do you think this one's going to play out? They were. I mean, their their issues were lateness rather than something as, as explosive of this, as this. I mean, it, it feels typical of the way United's season is going and the last month is going that, you know, it's, what, eight days when we're recording this until the next game and we don't know if a £73 million winger and £85 million winger are actually going to be available for selection. Um, it is a mess. And the, the Sancho thing especially is a mess. You know, I've written a piece this lunchtime on it and... You know, it's pretty clear that neither's backing down. I mean, we, you know, we, again, we, we contacted United on, on Monday to ask for their views, basically on what Sancho had said. And the comments we got back and, and what Saucy was saying was that we've nothing else to say. Ten Hag, you know, the manager, has it given a clear reason as to why he's not in the team. So there was no, like, this was misinterpreted. He didn't mean it in this way. There was very much a doubling down this is, what, this is what the manager said and this is what we're standing by. He's not trained well enough. And on the flip side of that, Sancho has pinned a tweet. On well, I was just going to go on to that, yeah. And acted defiance, really. Five, five days later, it is still his pinned tweet on Twitter or X. Um, so I think it's pretty clear that he's not backing down either. Um, so that the, you'd think there's going to have to be a compromise here, but I, I don't know where it is. Um, again, there was interest from Saudi Arabia yesterday. Um not sure whether Sancho would, would have been keen on that or not. It was very interesting that United refused to comment on that again yesterday. Um, you know, they, they weren't commenting on any of that speculation, which you know, if, if, if they wanted to keep him, I'm sure they'd have just said, he's not going. The fact that they didn't say that makes you think there was a realistic possibility that had that, had that materialised and developed, they would, have, they would have let him go. It is a long, long way back. Um, I was just telling you off air, and I've, I've put it in the piece this lunchtime, that... Um, I, I was flicking through a, a book. There's a, there's a biography on Ten Hag written by a Dutch journalist called Martin Meyer, I think it is. Thank you. Um, he might not think that. That, um, that. that Ten Hag was interviewed for that came out just after we'd got the United job. And I was flicking through it last night to see what he'd said on, on kind of cases of this kind of thing and indiscipline before. And there was one chapter talking about Andre and Arna failing a drugs test um, at Ajax, as we all know. Um, and Quincy Promes, who was a winger at Ajax, who was actually charged with attempted murder for stabbing his cousin in his knee, in the knee. So, you know, certainly Ten Hag's got some experience of dealing with this sort of thing. And he was talking about how basically, it, there was a line in there that made me laugh that he said, I can forgive, but I will not forget. I thought, well, that's probably not great news for Jaden Sancho. And there was just, you know, there was stuff in there about how this game is a game of trust and things like that. And 
people have got to have trust in you. And it just made me think that there's, you know, there's no way he's going to say to Sancho, you know, this week, it's all fine. If Sancho's to come back in here, he's got to show some contrition and apologise. And the fact it's still pinned to the top of his Twitter profile five days later suggests that he doesn't feel that's the case. It seems to be. That's, I mean, we can only guess with Sancho that that's the case, but you'd think if he, you know, I, I mean, I said at the time that what he'd done was quite an impulsive thing. You know, you mentioned Ronaldo. Ronaldo going on Piers Morgan was pre-planned, was vindictive, was stabbing people in the back, was full of lies and half-truths designed to get himself out of United and to settle some scores because he was annoyed one on the team. Sancho's felt impulsive. You know, it was written on notes on an iPhone, screenshotted an hour after Tenag had said his comments. So, you could have, you know, you, you could have argued Sunday night, Monday morning. That's just, you know, his initial reaction, the anger bubbling in him. The fact that it's still pinned to his profile and been seen sixty million times five days later suggests that he he stands by what he said. If I put my tin hat on then and I play devil's advocate, and you put yourself in Sancho's shoes, right? Is there a shred of understanding for wanting to have your own opinion and kind of if you've been publicly criticised and you, from your perspective? disagree with what's said is it possible that it's it's fair to reply I mean I personally believe I think we all agree it should have been done privately and it should have been done at Carrington he should have went straight to the manager's door and had that conversation and had his frustrations in a different way but is there a little bit of empathy there I guess for the player's side um, there's been suggestions obviously he's very frustrated because Anthony's been selected ahead of him a lot and he's been incredibly disappointed since his move from Ajax so if you put yourself in Sancho's shoes for a moment, I know it's 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 difficult. But what do you think about that? Yeah, maybe. Um, you know, maybe there's there's a way to do it. I think his statement probably went too far over yeah. the top. I mean, starting with "Don't believe everything you read" when what people are reading is a quote from the his manager. manager. Then suggesting he's being scapegoated for something. You know, it, it was it was far more than just a. You know, a, I I don't. If he'd have said, "I if you come on," I I don't agree with this, but you know, I take I take it on board or whatever then maybe, but he went a lot, lot further than that. Um, I think the fact that Ten Hag said it, and I'm, I'm guessing he said it for a reason. I mean, he is he is quite honest with absences, um, like injuries and stuff like that. He will never say what an injury is, and the club now will never say what an injury is. You know, we've seen it with Tyrone Malassia. It's been, been a bit weird, though, hasn't it? I yeah, so, they, it's, so what, from what I'm told, Ten Hag's view is that he will be honest if people are injured or are ill, you know, he'll be honest with reasons for being out of the squad, which is maybe why he said what he said about Sancho. But he won't give me specifics on medical conditions. So Luke Straw, no, Luke Straw. <laughs> Luke he's, Shaw, a good, he's a good player. He's a good player. They should plan. sign him, actually. Um, Luke Shaw's got a muscle injury, but we don't know what muscle. Tyrone Malassi has not been involved all pre-season, but we don't actually know what's wrong with him. Um, so, you know, you do get this a lot. We've, we saw it with, with Tomlin and Maguire, I think, at various points this season or pre-season and missed games. We've been told it's a small injury. You know, there's no detail given now on what the actual medical described conditions it as, are. As personal, didn't he? Was the word he used when in his, one of his press conferences? He said it's personal. He's injured, so it's like that's yeah, a, it's an interesting. Yeah, I think word. he sees it as like private information. Yeah, private player. information, maybe. I mean, obviously, a medical condition is different to pulling your hamstring, but for some reason, you know, he wants to keep it quiet. Um, and like I say, he's quite honest if players are injured or unavailable because they're ill or things like that. So maybe with Sancho, he's just felt the need to be honest. Or I think probably more likely he's reached the end of his tether. Uh, you know, I, I can't imagine he's not told Sancho this in person and probably more than one or two occasions. You know, he, he's probably just reached the end of his tether and has thought, I'm just going to have to say it in, in public. Um, I think he probably wanted to inspire 
or provoke a, provoke a, a response, a, a reaction or that, on the like training that. ground, yeah. though. Yeah, not a response on on social on social media. media. No. no, and it is. You know, we don't see what's going on in in training. Um, you know, we, we take Ten Hag's word for it. From what we from the bits we hear, it, he, he's very inconsistent in in training and. You know, there, there were suggestions around the England camp and the Euros as well that he was pretty inconsistent when the move to United was brewing. So there does seem to be some form there. What we do see is on the pitch, and he's hugely inconsistent on the pitch. You, know, you can count, I think he's played 82 times for United now, you can count the number of really good games on, on one hand. Um, so it would be no great surprise if he was doing exactly the same thing in training. It's been suggested, obviously, some interest from Saudi Arabia. I believe their transfer window might shut tonight. Last Where, night. Is it last hour? Yeah. There you go. So that's, that ship's gone and that yeah. ship's sailed um, regarding Sancho. If we look at his, like you just said, his, his time at the club in a nutshell, it's just been so disappointing, hasn't it? We've talked about him at Lems on this podcast, to be fair. I remember a conversation a little while back and we were discussing what fee would they get? What kind of fee would they get for Sancho at this point? Which is even more interesting now this has happened. Um, but you take yourself back it's three years ago now, Ty's in his third season at the club. This was a player who came from Dortmund with such an amazing reputation. We saw all the clips of him. I mean, the games, when you watched him in the biggest games, he would dazzle. He was in the England squad. He's not being picked for international duty, obviously. I don't think he's been picked for around a year and a half now for England. Is it around that now? Yeah, is it, is it, is it the Euros as well? Is it yeah. the Euros he last played for the, last played for the country? it's the Euros. I'm not sure he's actually been picked as a United player. I think it might be the Euros. Oh, are we ever going to see that player again? Because I have my doubts personally. I mean, it's not. It, he's 23 years old, that's the thing. So there's still ample time to, to kick on and get his career back on track. But I've got my doubts, really. Yeah, I have, to be honest. Um, you know, something needs to change. Something needs to give. Like, there was so much excitement when United signed him. Um, they, they tried to sign him the year before. He was such a thrilling player. Um, you know, not far off the levels that Jude Bellingham was or the excitement levels of, of Jude Bellingham this summer when he went to Bellingham, Real Madrid. Haaland and, and Sancho were the three. Yeah, the exactly. And... Yeah, and you know, the, the excitement around Bellingham this summer I think was similar to Sancho in, in 2021. Um, and to think that, you know, United was signing an English winger who was 20 at the time, I think. For 73 million and he'd never played for United for England under them. And now, I mean, he's so far out of the England picture now. I I mean, I'd been, they'd probably need 15 wingers to get injured before we had a look in at, at England duty. And they've got a lot of wingers as options. Uh, I mean, Harvey Barnes would probably get in the squad ahead of him at the moment, Stephen. Um, he, keeps, he keeps getting a mention on this podcast. <laughs> Harvey Barnes, he was when Samuel was in, he got a mention. Um, so yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's very difficult. I mean, I... We've talked about this podcast before. One of the highlights of the preseason tour is always having a sit down with Ten Hag away from the cameras. You know, these days every press conference is is filmed. It's it's all very formulaic and and formal in front of a camera. Preseason, the the written press, we always get a sit down with him, just chairs like this, round in a circle, and a bit more informal. Um, and a few of us asked him about Sancho in the summer, and I asked that question that you just mentioned, really, that what's gone wrong because it, he looks a very different player to the player we saw at Dortmund who would take players on, run at players with so confident. And, you know, I think I said, is he a different player or is it just a case that it's a different level? And he kind of nodded furiously in agreement with me and was like, he basically said, you know, it's the, the Bundesliga is good preparation for the Premier League, but it, you've got to step up at that point. Um, and he also said, my vision was a little bit grey, apparently. And that Sancho, um, he didn't think he was too dissimilar a player to the one who was at Dortmund, but... Maybe he was having a poppy for wearing glasses there. Possibly, yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe I need to go get a new prescription, possibly. <laughs> um, but it did, 
you know, he, he did kind of defend him and he said, your, you know, your vision is grey. He's, he's not, he's not that dissimilar to the player that was at Dortmund, but you know, I'd love to know privately if he still holds those views. Cause I think everyone who watches him thinks he's absolutely nothing like that player. You know, he, you thought when he signed, he'd be the winger that one of those wingers that start to run and you hear the clack of seats at, uh, stadium where people want to see it but you, you just there's just no excitement watching him play at the moment yeah, funnily enough I remember when the same was announced and Solskjaer said look it, it is a different level coming to Manchester United and performing than the Bundesliga and I guess he's kind of being proved right but he's not being proved right about saying one of the best wingers in the world or not, not for <laughs> no, now anyways no, not for now not. Um, and if anyone doesn't follow Tyrone on Twitter he's talking about uh, having a chat with tonight Go across, check out his Twitter because his new profile picture is fantastic, isn't it, Tyler? Oh, it is. It's smart. Yeah, it's nice. That was, that new was... cover forward as well. Samuel told us to check it out recently. Yeah, no, that was that was one of the um, David McDonald. I was going to say, who was it that took with, that yeah, picture? Yeah, it was after it. the Arsenal game when um, Tenag didn't do a post-match press conference, but he stopped in the mix zone just for an informal chat with us. And yeah, it was just me and it, it, the photo was just me and. I think, as, uh, as David McDonald said when he put it in the tour group, two two great footballing minds in the chat. So uh, <laughs> that's one way of putting it. So that's it. the caption. That is one way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and if you're watching on YouTube, obviously the listeners on the podcast won't be able to see, but we've got a few props in the studio today. It probably looks like a, a set of I'm a celebrity with the the flowers and stuff. But we'll we'll get a photo of Tenag in Tyrone frame behind instead. I'm sure the the viewers will love that. Anyways, lend you the one that I've got at home. <laughs> I hope it's signed. No, that'd be that would be very weird. You can't do that as a journalist. Uh, we'll be back in with a part two, but that's it for part one. Welcome back for part two of the podcast here. Tyrone, I don't know about you, but this room's getting a bit hot. <laughs> it's getting a bit hot, isn't it? Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll go and discuss uh, Donny van der Beek then to, to start this segment. He's another player who came to, to Manchester with a big reputation. A lot was expected and it, it just hasn't happened really. Um, he's, he's not been included in the Champions League squad this week, which is another clear sign that he's not in Eric Ten Hag's plans, but we already knew that. Um, I think he played a few times in pre-season when... I was at Murrayfield, he came and talked to journalists in the mix zone and he openly said, look, I don't know what's going to be next, but I probably will I probably will go in and move away from the club. But there's only is it the Turkey, Turkey, Turkish window Turkey, that's yeah. available now. So I know you wrote a line on that, was it yesterday or the day before? So could you just uh, tell about the, the Turkish interest in, in Donny van der Beek? Yeah, so there's uh, Fenerbahce and Galatasaray, I think, are both interested to, to some degree. Um, I mean, Galatasaray have been interested for a while, but they did sign Tangu and Dombali from Tottenham on Tuesday. It was obviously a midfielder, probably of a similar profile to Van der Beek. So I, you know, I, I don't know if that rules them out entirely. Um, Fenerbahce is seen as an option. Obviously, United have dealt with them twice this year for, for Fred and Altai Bayinda. So there is relations there. The, that window's open until next Friday night. Um, but from what I'm told, it, it's by absolutely no means guaranteed that it, he's going to go there. Obviously, the Real Sociedad looked quite likely to happen at one point in the window and, and didn't. Lorient were, were interested and nothing came of that. Um, but it is now Turkey, Turkey or bust in a way. But, you know, I've been told that it is entirely possible he stays in, until January. He's not in the Champions League squad. The 25-man Premier League squad's got to be submitted by Wednesday to the Premier League and I think he's probably in danger of of missing that. It'd be interesting to see if, if no deal is done before that squad goes in, whether United think they should include him or whether they use it as an opportunity to not include him and almost try and force him to to find something in Turkey. Um, but yeah, I think everyone expected him to go. 
to signing that's just never, you know, never really paid off. And I think you know, it's, it's interesting that United, you know, when United were first linked with Sofi Amrabat, when that interest became clear, like late June, I was told pretty clearly that it was, you know, it was a player they liked. It was only ever going to happen if midfielders were sold. And that didn't include Fred. Fred was, you know, it was kind of Fred, mind for Fred swap. It was maybe Van der Beek goes or McTominay goes. You know, in the end, neither have gone and they've still signed Amrabat. They've used Dean Anderson's money to sign Amrabat, which shows how much Ten Hag wanted him. But there's just so much competition in midfield now. Kobe Mayne, who we might come on to later, is almost certainly ahead of Van der Beek in, in the pecking order. Um, so, he, you know, he does need to move. And it is it is a case, I think, that a fresh start is is probably required. But it could well be it could well be a loan. It might be, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if they just cut their losses and took a really small fee and, and took a, a big hit on a £35 million signing. Here's a stat for you from my piece from the other day. Um, so he signed for the club, obviously, for £35 million in uh, September 2020. He's made 28 starts since, which means, obviously, excluding wages, they've paid £1.25 million for every start that he's made. <laughs> That's, a, that's, that's incredible. Start, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, obviously, his wages on top of that that's as well. Incredible. He's made six six starts in the Premier League for United in three years. Uh, it's just so poor, isn't it? It really is. I look back at that. Do you remember the Ajax team that got to the semi-finals of the Champions League? Um, obviously, dramatically got knocked out by Tottenham in the last minute. Do you think they were kind of over romanticised and put on a pedal stool? You look at the kind of the players who came out of that team. The late was probably the best in the end. I've made, I've made this point a few times. It was Ziyech in that side as well. But I think that team, they did very well, obviously, Ten Hag was, was the manager. Um, but was Van, Van der Beek ever that good? In the, uh, maybe that's unfair. Was he ever going to be suited to the Premier League is probably the way to say it. I think, it, I think the, the evidence would suggest that he's not suited for the Premier League. I think we saw that at Everton as well. Um, you know, you, you're right, I think, partly with what you say with that team, that you know, the, the, the two real golden boys of that team were De Ligt and De Jong, neither have really yeah, I forgot about, I gone forgot on about to... Job maybe the superstar and we thought they were they would um, you know I don't think Juventus were too bothered at losing De Ligt um, De Jong obviously could have come to United last year I think he had quite a good season for Barcelona last year last season but I think people would now have expected him to be one of the best midfielders in the world if not the best and you know he's not the best midfielder in Barcelona why is that team always spoken about even now you see your football and hipsters drinking their you know, the cappuccinos you, you, the hats on and reading Mundial and they still talk about that team and yeah. do you remember Villarreal got the, the semi-finals yeah, yeah. That's, no one's going to talk about them the, the, no you, you do sometimes get and I think Brighton might be a case of this as well where you get a group that it just works brilliantly for and also you get a set of players who know their tactical instructions so clearly that the system just works for them. And you take that out and it doesn't necessarily work as well. And I'm going to be fascinated to see with Brighton, like Caicedo, who's had a pretty ropey start at Chelsea. And the, those players who are going to leave Brighton and move on now, Ferguson, inevitably, and CISO, probably, Matoma, perhaps. You know, that, that system there and what Roberto de Zabi does is so unique that no one else in Europe really does it. No one else in Europe really plays that way. And it's going to be interesting. McAllister at Liverpool, show he gets on. You know, it's going to be interesting to see how they get on because I think, you know, I, I actually a little bit like that maybe that, that those players, it just worked for those players in that system. When you move on, try and recreate it in a different system with different instructions, it's a lot harder. Um, but, you know, that, going back to Van der Beek, it, it, when that signing was announced, I think everyone thought it was a bit like Sancho Evans thought what a, what a great signing he was going to Real Madrid seemed like a I mean, fair value didn't it 35 really million good, at the really time. good value at the time you'd have said um, you know, he was going to Real Madrid that summer they pulled out because of the pandemic they couldn't afford him 
and United just saw it as an opportunistic move. But you know, I wrote kind of a bigger piece this week that and I don't think they signed him with any idea really of how to use him. They wanted Madison or Grealish that summer as like a playmaker. Van der Beek's a different player. But, but even now, I mean, do we know which midfield positions is, is best? When he well, plays as a number 10, he's not really effective. No, he, he's not affected enough games. I mean, Ten Hag said last year he's better nearer the box. He's played 60 games in total for United, including sub-appearances. 20 of them has been a, as a defensive midfielder um, in that kind of double feet pivot under Saltzgum. I just think no one ever knew how to get the best out of him. And I put in this this piece that in the 2021 transfer window, um, coming up to the last few days of that, so he didn't he didn't even come on the first three Premier League games of that season. Um, he was annoyed that Pogba had turned up four days late for training and was in the team. Um, Van der Beek, had, it was this year he missed the Euros with the summer and he made a real effort to get fit. Agreed his trading plan with United, didn't get in the team. Two days before the end of the window, his representatives were told by executives at United, you can find a, find a club on loan, you can go on loan. Two days later on deadline day, Everton want to sign him on loan and Solskjaer vetoed it, which just shows that no, no one at the club knew what to do with him. One department wants to sell him, the manager wants to keep him. Um, you know, Solskjaer messaged his representatives the day after and said, I'm committed to making it work and showing that it was the right decision. After that, he gave him two more starts in the Champions League game at Young Boys when he came off at half-time in the Carabao Cup against West Ham. Um, so, you know, he, he, he didn't give him the chance to, to prove himself. And, you know, I think there's an argument he was just never suited to the Premier League. The fact that Ten Hag's not been able to get anything out of him here is, is probably an indicator of that. I mean, maybe it was too far gone by then, but it has been a disaster. And I just think, you know, that story about, you know, United's executives telling him, you can go. Two days later, the management telling him, you can't go just shows, you know, it feels like a, a neat metaphor really for the fact that no one knew what to get the best out of him. But he's got to take responsibility as well because like you say, he's, he's not been good enough when he does get a chance. I mean, there's been four managers, Solskjaer, Carrick, Ranić, and Ten Hag. And if anyone was going to improve him and, and get him back on track, it was going to be Ten Hag, wasn't it? And it hasn't happened. So bottom line, he's just not worked out and he's probably not good enough for Manchester United in, in truth. Uh, someone who is possibly good enough for Manchester United, or hope we are, hope he is, Kobe Manu, who's done all the right things. Um, I've wrote in a few pieces, when you talk to, to people around the player, they paint an image of a, a very grounded, likeable young man, and you, you see him in talking in interviews with club media. Um, I've watched a lot of him for the under-21s last season, and I just I thought it was a pleasure just to watch his development, really, month on month, and you could, you could probably tell he was going to be the breakout star of, of this pre-season. I was told before the went away on tour that he was going to be part of the first team squad, that he wasn't going out on loan. And I think that was reflected in the team selections when you and Samuel were out there. I mean, he started against Leeds, against Lyon in Europe, and then came against Arsenal, didn't he? And he, yeah. he performed against Declan Rice, Kai Havertz and, and Martin Odegaard. And then he played against Real Madrid as well. Got injured in that game, obviously, unfortunately, which was, was not good to see. But his return's probably going to be imminent now. He's been dropping little hints on social media. Um, it's going to be fascinating to see whether he can kind of make an impact on that team, isn't it? Because I thought it was quite significant. Ten Hag name-checked him in a press conference the other week when yeah. he was asked about Casemiro and he, he brought up he brought up Manu. So I thought that, that might have some significance. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think he's going to get chances this season. Like you, I was really impressed with him in pre-season. I thought starting him against Real Madrid was a huge statement, really. And it was, you know, it was crushing for him, really, that he only lasted a few minutes before he got that injury. And I think had he stayed fit, it wouldn't surprise me if Scott McTominay wasn't here anymore. Um, you know, I think that was a major influence in, in United keeping him. That and the fact that you know no one really firmed up their their interest that much. But I think 
it's going to be interesting where he fits in that midfield because, like you say, his name checked along Casemiro. You've probably got Casemiro, Amrabat, McTominay, and Maney who can all play that that holding role now. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how that pecking order works out. It wouldn't surprise me if he got more games than McTominay. I think Ten Hag does really, really like him. Um, you know, we, we were talking on Monday's podcast about Ten Hag's approach to the academy and the number of sort of twenty, twenty-one year olds he's sold over the last two summers is incredible, really. Um, but he, he strikes me that he's very much, this is the standard you've got to reach. And if you don't reach it, you're not going to be in the squad. You know, he'd rather sign Regulion than play Fernandez because Fernandez isn't there yet. Um, selling James Garner last year, selling Zidane Iqbal, Charlie Savage, Ethan Laird, you know, plenty more this year. Real consideration was given to selling Hannibal. Um, it wouldn't have surprised me if he'd have considered, given consideration to selling Ahmad. Um, if he hadn't, obviously he got an injury very early in pre-season, but I think that would have been on the table potentially this year if he hadn't impressed. But also, you've got to be at the level, you've got to be at the standard, but if you are, then he will play you. We've seen it with Garnacho, and I think we're going to see it with Maynou. He, he talks him up a lot. He really likes him, and I think, you know, it's it's going to be harder for youngsters to reach that level. I think he's going to make it more demanding. I think previous managers, for better or worse, Solskjaer, especially for obvious reasons, gave academy players lots of chances and maybe played some who, who weren't of the level and, and weren't ready. I think under Ten Hag, you're going to see that you have got to be ready. There's going to be no free games, no free appearances for, for academy products just because you're in the academy. But if you are good enough, you, you know you will be in that squad. And I think we'll probably see that with with Maynou this year. Um, and I, I can see him getting, getting plenty of games, especially off the bench. It's funny in that FA Youth Cup run in 2021-22, because obviously Ganacho was in that team, very much the poster boy. And uh, he grabbed all the, the attention, didn't he, for Ronaldo's celebrations and his, his brilliant goals. But uh, Kobe Mainu and Dan Gore were in midfield and they really gelled together. They made a perfect file for each other, really, and they were really excellent. So it's interesting now seeing them progress. And, and Dan Gore as well, he's he's making good headway. I thought he was really good in the game. You went to uh, Murrayfield um, against Lille. I thought he was Technically, he's excellent. fantastic, yeah, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. really is. Really good. Just, just interesting when you talk about how many academy departures, I actually told them up in a piece. I'll read them out. Because a lot of the names, listeners will be thinking, who are they, kind of thing. Um, Deshaun Bernard, Nathan Bishop, Noam Memoran, Ethan Galbraith, Eric Hambry, Braun Hardley, Zidane Iqbal, Mark Gerardo, uh, Mathej Kovar, Ethan Led, Andred Masny, Ted Menji, Manny Norkett, Charlie Savage and Charlie Wellens. And it just shows you, it's been a bit of an exodus, hasn't it, really? Uh, absolutely. At, at the club this yeah, summer. Yeah, absolutely. And you go back, you know, the... The, the one that made me think, okay, he's going to take a different view of this was James Garner last year when I think everyone thought he's going to come back. Was there a buyback in that? I can't remember. Was no, there a buyback I don't think And I think was. that's what really annoyed supporters at the time when you're thinking, what's he, what's he doing? Yeah, kind of and I think there was, you know, I think everyone thought he's going to get a chance in pre-season, but he'll probably be part of the squad, whatever happens really. And obviously he wasn't, he was sold for 15 million. And that did kind of make me think that once you get to that 20, 21 age bracket where you know, if, if you're good enough, you, you're probably going to be there or thereabouts. There's not much point persevering beyond that, that he will be ruthless and sell some. And we've seen it with those you listed there. I mean, Iqbal and Savage were two of the breakout stars of, of last summer's um, pre-season tour. Now both gone permanently. Didn't, neither really got a look in this season. Um, the two right-backs, Gerardo and Ethan Laird, at various points over the last two or three years, there's been a lot of excitement around them both. Both sold on a permanent deal. Led suffered with a few injuries, I think, which stalled his progress, but both gone. Fernandez could have gone on a permanent deal. It was something you know I were considering at the end of um the, the window. So 
you know, there, there has been a lot of them. Why do we think when we look at, right, across the city, Manchester, across the city, Manchester City, doesn't really sound like a good sentence, that, does it? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think that one through, but uh, City have got an excellent record of exporting these youth talents at the moment, and they're making a lot more money. Is it a style thing? Is it because City are the successful club at the moment, and clubs are looking towards uh, the Eddie Harden thinking that that success is kind of going to come down and, and kind of feed into the academy? Because the academies have kind of been level for a long time, um, cities now they've, they've, they've had a, a way better time of things the last few years they've been winning the, the, the youth leagues haven't they but I think supporters have, have gripes with that as well when they see names like Zed and Iqbal leaving for was it 1 million euros and then they look across and, and is it Gavin Bazinou for example who's 15 million or whatever at Southampton so why, why do you think that is? I think partly it's because City's Academy is basically seen as the Harvard of football at the moment there is a kudos attached to having come through that academy I mean the money they make from academy sales is unbelievable an incredible business model that they've got the, the fund almost yeah. fund the first team don't they with academy sales yeah it's, it's it does amazing. essentially um, you know every year they, they pull this off with, with huge sales from the academy just sell four or five players and it's you know it's, it's an amazing business model they've, they've, they've finally reached um, and you know there, there is that kudos you mentioned tonight Bell there if we'd have come through at City and was the same player, I, I bet they'd have sold him for five million euros. That's, that's what I'm trying to yeah, say. It's, just yeah. because he's attached, he's got that attachment to City, um, and there's clearly a, a kudos. You see it a little bit with Liverpool. They've, you know, they've sold under Klopp. Um, the I was reading the other day the right back that went to Wolves, Yana, Key Yana Hoover, was it? Yeah, I can't, can't recall that. Sold for like thirteen and a half million to Wolves, and I had no idea where he is now. Never but, heard of him. Yeah. yeah, he got a few games to Liverpool under Klopp, and everyone's like, he, he must be good. He's come through there, like they know what they're doing. Like Necker Williams to Forest, I think that was 17, 18 million last year. Amazing money for a backup right back who hasn't really played that much. Um, but City are undoubtedly the gold standard. I mean, they sold James Trafford for 15 million, and when he's only ever played in League One, the, you know, United sold Dean Henderson, who's an England international, for 15 million. Um, they sold Bazzuni last year for 12 million. That's. 27 million in two summers for two keepers who've never played a first team game for City. It's insane when you think about it. You pull it out. It is insane. And it's an amazing business model that they can make 70 to 100 million pounds every year just through selling academy players. And it essentially funds the first team transfers. You know, if United had that, then maybe they could have signed Harry Kane this summer. Um, but it is, you know, the, the departures you've all mentioned there have been pretty low fees. Um, I think there's, you know, there's buybacks and sell on percentages there. But I think the reality is at the moment that United's Academy just doesn't have that same um, kudos and goal standard that City does. And I think it's probably been, been borne out. I mean, they won that youth cup, but it's it's been a while since an Academy product really came through. And, you know, you're probably looking at Rashford for the last real homegrown one, maybe McTominay, I guess, to be fair. I mean, Garnacho signed at 16. He's a bit of a different, you know, a lot of the development was already done then. He was clearly on his way to stardom. Um, hopefully Maynard will get there, but... You know, United haven't been producing the players in recent years that makes people think, right, anyone who spent 10 years in their academy knows what they're doing there. They're worth signing. So, you know, the next challenge is not just selling these youngsters, but getting good money for them. I think Rashford and McTominay and, and Henderson were all part of the same, same year group, I think. Or was it maybe now, I think Hendo, was he? Not far off. Henderson's 26 Henderson the air below. now. Rashford's 25. Right, I was there above then. McTominay's yeah. 26. So I know when close. you read interviews with them, they always kind of talk, obviously, I mean, the, the mix on the air groups, yeah. but they always talk about coming through together kind of thing. Uh, we'll leave it there for part two. We'll be back in a moment for part three.
Welcome back to part three of the Manchester Israel podcast. Now, we've done very well not to die of heat exhaustion at this point. <laughs> so I feel like just... uh, Daniel Medvedev at the US Open the other day when he said someone is going to die here. And that right now I feel like someone is going to die the here. producer in the corner, are you listening? Yeah, <laughs> get, <laughs> sort this get, out. Get some windows installed or something because <laughs> we're struggling here, we're struggling. Anyways, I mean, we're in Manchester, so it'll never be rain very soon. Yeah, well, we, can't, we shouldn't complain about the sun, I guess, in Manchester, should we? You know, we only get about 10 days we'll a year. We're British, we'll mourn about anything. That's true. Uh, we'll start this part just with a, a brief assessment of the season, really. Um, what have you made of the start? It's It's been a bit disappointing, I think. I mean, we came into the campaign with, I think, supporters had a lot of optimism. A really promising first year for Ten Hag, and I think they went into this international break feeling a bit deflated. I mean, I wasn't here on the podcast on Monday when you dissected the Arsenal result, but it was a better defensive performance, wasn't it? I think it was the best they've played defensively all season, but attacking again with the exception of Rashford's goal, they weren't very good going forward. I know Ganacho had that moment, obviously that was offside, but... Yeah, it you know, it, it's concerning, I guess you'd say, the, the start. Um, they were better against Arsenal, certainly, Um but, you know, they didn't... The, the first three games, they were very open, but very they created a lot as well. And they need to get the balance right. And maybe the balance went too far against Arsenal, where they did still concede some some good chances. They didn't threaten as much going forward. But as, as a unit, I thought they played better. Things were a bit tighter. Um, I, I mean, I think Ten Hag's claim they deserve to win is, you know... I, I didn't like his comment about offside, Tyrone. I mean, obviously... Yeah. It's 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 a rabbit hole when you go into jumping into conspiracy know, theories yeah. and you talk we, about we, we where touched, the lines are drawn. We we touched on this on Monday and I said that if it had gone into that press conference with two or three things to focus on, but you know, we basically called out five decisions so they should have all have gone our way. And I think that's pretty unrealistic, really. Um and it, it takes away any credit from any potential argument and you know, the offside one. I think we've seen now that no matter what the angle, this system is capable of, of drawing lines on a pitch. It, it wouldn't be in use otherwise. Um, you know, I, I just think he he, he was clearly annoyed post-match. Um, but yeah, I think that going in and basically listing these five decisions and saying they should all have gone our way, including one that's made by a computer, is a bit... Um, clutching Luke Strauss, clutching, wasn't it? Clutching Luke Strauss. Luke Strauss. <laughs> clutching Luke Strauss. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. Um yeah, so, and, and I didn't think they deserved to win. I think a draw would have been a fair enough result. Um, obviously, it's, you know, the Ganacho thing is incredibly marginal. It is very, very tight. Um, and it was a great goal, so it was unfortunate in that regard. But the, the season as a whole, I think there are concerns there. Um, you know, I, I've said it previously that I felt like in pre-season and from what I've seen now this season, it feels like Ten Hag's taking it on a level this year. The pressing is more intense, more aggressive. There's more of them committing to it. Um, they're playing a much higher line now. They've got Anana. You know, they're, they're, they're really boxing. It feels like they're trying to really, really dominate teams now, whereas they didn't do it last year. Maybe, you know, in a way that his, his Ajax team did. The the issue with that, of course, is that this is a much tougher league than the Eredivisie. Um, and they're leaving themselves, the first goal against Forest, for example, setting, the, that, setting up that way from a corner. It's just so risky that it's going to happen. And, the, you know, my, my concern would be that, that I think they've been okay going forward. Like I say, not great on Sunday, but other than that, been creating a lot more than last year. Taking chances is, is still the issue. But last season's success was built, well, basically on Marcus Rashford scoring and having a great defensive record. And they've been so open this year defensively. I mean, they've got a very fortuitous clean sheet against Wolves and have conceded seven goals in three games since. Um, I was just looking at some some stats before we came in for, for a piece for tomorrow morning. And I know... 
not everyone likes expected goals. I was just about to bring that up. Yeah, especially Samuel hates uh, it, but hopefully, Samuel, a, hopefully Samuel's listening. We'll talk about it for the next ten time? minutes. You an XG man? I, yeah, I think it well, adds a, a bit of context. I say all the time you'd be favourite, and that's why. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I'm not saying it's the be all end all. Yeah, it's not the be all end all. Obviously, to the wider picture. Yeah, and it's you know I said football's a low scoring sport. There's a lot of luck involved, and if there's one goal in a game, there's going to be huge elements of luck in that game. But I think XG does provide a context to who was the more likely to win it, who's created the better chances. And United had a great defensive record last year. In 20 of their 62 games, their expected goals against was under one. This year, it's been over one every game. It's been over 1.7 in three of the four. I think it was 1.2 or 1.3 against Forest. And they played with, you know, a, a decent chunk of that game or the second half for 10 men. So, you know, the, my issue, uh, my concern there is that in trying to dominate teams, in trying to move it forward a level, the balance isn't quite there at the moment. They're giving up way more. They're giving up a much better quality of chance and more chances than they did last year. And that's going to be a problem. Do you think that preparation and how he wants to play is a factor and why we're seeing this injury crisis that we're having? I mean, we actually discussed that the other week, me and you, um, why particularly this might be happening. I mean, Tom Heaton's out, Rafa Varane's out, Luke Shaw's injured, Taro Malassia. Mason Mount, Mountain injury crisis, he's out. Um, Colby Mayne, who's obviously sidelined. McTominay was ill, uh, obviously, and then Sancho was definitely not ill. <laughs> I've already covered the reasons for, for his admission. Ahmad, Ahmad's coming back as well. Um, I know you kind of suggested a few reasons for it, because uh, they did double sessions, didn't they, pre-season? Do you think he's been trying to get them up to such a level that it's perhaps backfired now the season's started in terms of overdoing it a bit? Yeah, quite possibly, quite possibly. It, you know, it, it can be very hard to say with injury crises about what happens and, and why things are happening. A few of them do seem to be muscle injuries. So that is usually, you know, usually seen as preventable by medical departments. And I'm sure United's you know, medical department will be looking at, at why it's happened. I think there was a view that he did work them harder this preseason than last. Um, obviously, he, he didn't really know what base level they were at and things like that last preseason. This year, we're trying to move it on in terms of pressing. You know, you, you need elite level match fitness, football fitness to to be able to press in that way. So perhaps that's a part of it. I'm sure that's something they'll be, they'll be looking at. Occasionally, it is just bad luck. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, it, it, it's got to be seen as a concern. I mean, the weekend was a weird one when Martinez and Lindelof both go off and they're both fit enough to, to go away with their countries. I don't, I don't think, I mean, we don't know the specific reasons to be found on Martinez it's been suggested it was an issue with the foot he had injured. I don't know what Lindelof was, but I don't think fans were too happy at seeing that. I think they questioned seeing those two play for their yeah. internationals. I'm not suggesting anything untoward no. from the pair, but it's interesting to see them with their internationals. To see that they're both it? seemingly fine. I mean, Tenag, I think, I think Tenag said in his post-match that Lindelof was ill or had been ill before the game. He did say that to be, yeah, he um, But, you know, he also limped through the mix zone, so whether that's just limping through tiredness or maybe he was cramping up or something. Do you ever limp through tiredness today? I can't say I have limped through tiredness. No, I was limping this morning through playing playing football last night. I'd be limping when we leave this room. It's, it's too hot. This yeah, room. yeah. One of our colleagues is limping from your tackle on him last night, I believe. But yeah, I, uh, I haven't limped through tiredness, but um, you know, it's a strange one. You could tell Lindelof was going to come off because for the two or three minutes before that, he kept doubling over and putting his hands on his knees and you could tell there was an issue there. But yeah, the fact that they both come off have to change both centre-halves and then within two days they're both fine is, you know, a little bit confusing. Um, maybe Martinez was worried about that foot because, like I say, it was the same foot that he broke his metatarsal and he obviously felt some pain in there. Perhaps that was precautionary. Um, but, 
you know, it's, it's unfortunate, very unfortunate when you've got one centre-half out and then your two starting ones have to come off injured. And then to see that they're both fit two days later, essentially, is a little bit perplexing. And that was obviously not ideal for United because they were always going to find Johnny it hard Evans with Maguire and Johnny Evans playing. Yeah. In 2023, it's not exactly ideal, is it? Uh, one thing, obviously, I guess supporters have been uh, looking forward to during this international break is seeing Rasmus Hoyland again. Um, because of all those 20 minutes when he came on, incredibly promising. I mean, putting himself about, it's a bit of a cliche, isn't it? But he really put himself about. And you were there at the Emirates, obviously. So, oh, it was Rich. Sorry, wasn't it? It was Rich. I was going to say, physically, I've not saw him yet in person. But he looks, he's a big lad, isn't he, for, for 20 years old. Um, but that is really something to look forward to, isn't it? Because United haven't had, Rashford scored a lot of goals last season, but he's not a natural number nine. He's not a physical centre forward. And it's going to be really something I keep saying look forward to, but to save her really when he makes regular starts. Yeah, I think there's a lot of excitement because he is an unknown, really. You know, it, it would have been great if they'd signed Kane, but we know about Harry Kane's game. We've seen, we've all seen him play hundreds of games, probably. Rasmus Hoyland, no one's really seen him. There's, there's an element of the unknown. The physical gifts are all there. Like you say, he's, he's big and he's strong, but he's also incredibly quick. Um, there's still a bit of a, a rawness to his game there that, that will be ironed out, but United accept that. But there was, you know, there was enough in that game to think this is going to be interesting. I actually thought, you know, I, I asked um, Tenag in the Sunday section of his press conference for Arsenal about Tenag, uh, about about himself, about Hoyland. Um, and, you know, there, there was a few questions about it. And he was talking about, you know, his, his, someone asked him about his mentality. Um, I think it was, how would you describe his mentality? And he was like, he is brave. Um, he was like, anything else like about his character? He's like, he is brave. That is all you need or something like that. And he's like, oh. Um, and then, like, I, you know, he, I asked him about the, the pressure of, you know, the pressure of leading the line for United has has destroyed careers here of players who's much more experienced than Hoyland. What what so you think he can do it? And he talked again about his personality and stuff and how he'd come into training and given everyone a lift through that personality. And you could kind of see that on the pitch. You, you know, you could see that bravery and straight away he went looking for Gabriel. He, you know, he's probably Arsenal's biggest, toughest centre half and was like, let's have some of you then. I really liked that. I really yeah, liked I that liked that. Time. And yeah. you could you could see what Ten Hag meant by that bravery and that personality that, and he does look the type of the type of player that will just give others a lift by being on the pitch. He's he's got something about him. He's got some character there. He's got some bravery, you know. And the the technical gifts are, are there. Some more will come. The physical gifts look there, but but mentally and personality wise as well, you look at him and you think, yeah, he he looks, you know, he looks up for it. He looks like he's really got something. I mean, after an afternoon of. <laughs> dealing with Anthony Martial about Gabriel and Saliba knew they were in a game they were in a game when yeah, they were totally I think that um, was the main thing wasn't it I'm hoping next week I mean we'll come on to Brighton next week but you know I don't know if Holland would be fit to start hopefully it will be and Evan Ferguson obviously pulled out of the Ireland squad as well but you know it'd be great to see those two starting in the same young, game role, two young role, strikers, yeah, yeah. For, and very similar in a way I think Ferguson's still 18 he looks an unbelievable unbelievable talent um but they, 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 I say they are both quite similar. Old school in a way, number nine, really big and physical. It's interesting how a traditional number nine has been a bit of a renaissance yeah. after years of kind of being yeah, false like nines. Guardiola's and, false nine. Yeah, but they've, they've, kind come, of they've come back, back now, in. haven't yeah. they? In, in but they're coming style. back in at that age group. There's none. Like, you know, it had to sign Hoyland in a way because it was only Kane and maybe Osserman that are guarantees to be on that. You're like Colo Moani or Ramos. There's, there's you know, there's... Both have ended up at PS, PSG, I think, but they're both. I mean, they're you know they're a level below, and they're players who should be kind of at their peak now. So you're kind of looking at that younger bracket, and 
Hoyland and Ferguson arguably look the two. I mean, I think Ferguson looks just a ridiculous player. The, some of the other finishes, the, the finish for his second goal last week against against G. Lock, I'm sure he liked to relive it. But it was just incredible the way he made it look so easy. And, you know, I, I'd really look forward to that game on Saturday if they're both starting, because I think those two could, you know, could be the next kind of big centre forwards coming through. I interviewed Highland's former coach at Corbin Hagen this week. The feature has to come out tomorrow morning. So if you're listening to this, check it out. Um, but one of the few things he said was fiercely ambitious, fiercely hardworking and just just raw power and how he, to be fair at the start, by the sounds of things, he struggled to control that power and eventually obviously developing and developing, went to Austria and Italy. And I mean, his rise has been, it's been meteoric really, hasn't it? Like it's been remarkable in the space of, is it 20 months, I think? Basically, yeah. When, when United confirmed to us that the, the deal had been agreed, we were we were actually out there, their training base in San Diego on tour and we were looking through it and, you know, I was reading out the numbers to the others and 1.7 million euros from Copenhagen to Sturm Graz in January 2022. Six months later, 17 million euros, I think, to Atalanta. And then a year later, um, was it 85 million euros, I think? Yeah, well, 72 million pounds, wasn't it? In the yeah. deal so probably yeah, around that's right. incredible. In, in, in 20 months, like you say, 1.7 million euros to 17 million euros to 85 million euros is... Is remarkable, really. But yeah, there does, you know, there does look a real player there. There's a story he told me that I had a meeting with him when he was around 18 years old. And at the time in Copenhagen, pressing the ball was a big thing, just like most clubs. And he said, look, Rasmus, you need to start pressing better. Like, you your voice, you're not going to make the first team. Apparently, he just looked at them dead in the eye and went, I'm just not fond of pressing. And he, he laughed at that story because if you look at them now, it's his main attribute, really, isn't it? Well, not one of. I mean, he's fantastic. He just keeps on running. And it's going to be such, a, such an asset to the team, isn't it, at United? Um, I think we'll skip the international guff tie because I mean I don't, I'm not sure if any of the listeners really want to Johnny Evans no. scoring for scoring both scored, sides for yeah. both sides yeah. at both ends and own goal. Yeah, own goal as well. And at the other side of the pitch uh, and well, Hoyland played obviously of course um, he, he didn't Amrabat, score. of course. Yeah, got injured. Got, is injured. Bit, I mean, bit of a strange one that I, I've asked tonight about it earlier. I don't think they've, they've messaged back once, but not not second time yet. But there was some rumours on social media this week that he was actually out for six weeks when they signed him. Um, which United have shot down, but I've been told that he was he was fully fit when he signed for United and when he went to Morocco. So seemingly he's picked up a new injury with Morocco. So it's um, it is the club is cursed. So it is kind of a, a wait and see there because I I just presumed it was a case that he's not out for six weeks, but he's turned up with some kind of niggle. He's gone to Morocco and now he's said hello and come back. But it sounds from what I'm being told that he's essentially was passed fully fit when he came to United, ready to hit the ground running and has now gone to Morocco and maybe picked something up. Um, but hopefully we'll get to the bottom of that and keep an eye on the MEN for a story on it. Uh, we'll end that podcast there entire because I do feel like I am an amateur celebrity. It's that humid down where they film in Australia. Isn't yeah, it? definitely. I've banged on about the heat. But uh, thank you very much for your time. I've enjoyed no it. No problem. Thank you, Stephen. Very good. And thanks to listeners as usual. Head across to YouTube where we're ticking over nicely with the subscribers. Apple, Spotify, etc. All your usual audio platforms as well. Have a fantastic weekend and take care.